0: Thanks for joining us here at Thrive Church. We're a church passionate about moving people towards Jesus. For more information, go to our website, www.thrivechurch.co.za. Good morning, everybody. So welcome to church this morning, and welcome if you are new with us. It's so good to have you with us. You braved the rain, and uh, we're grateful for the rain, aren't we? It would be easy to just say, oh, it's raining and we're getting wet, but man, the, the gardens need it, the farms need it. Everybody needs it, so welcome to it, and uh, it's summer, and spring's in the air, and the, everything's coming to life. It's a great season, uh, so I want to encourage you just to be expectant this morning for what God wants to say to you, to lean in, make sure that the Word goes into good soil, and that you're receiving everything that God has for you this morning. Amen. I'm going to ask us to pray, and would you put your hand on your heart, and uh, elevate you guys are welcome to leave as we pray th- this morning. I read this prayer the other day. Somebody gave it to me, and uh, I found it so beautiful. I want to read it to you. I hope it encourages you. The prayer says, Holy Spirit, Lord and giver of life, the one who moves between us and around us like a wind or water or fire, breathe into us your freshness that we may awaken. Cleanse our vision that we may see you more clearly. Kindle our senses that we may feel you more sharply. And give us the courage to live as you would have us live through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And everybody said, amen. We're in a series called The Life of Influence. If you've joined us this morning and you're fairly new to church, we're in a few-week series called The Life of Influence. It's a a series that's designed to help us understand and remind us, particularly as we head towards the end of the year, that God has called us to be people of influence even in the ordinariness and the mundaneness and just the everydayness of our lives, you know, that we're called to be people of influence, that we can influence in the situations and in the circumstances and in the lives in which we find ourselves. In the everyday ordinary humdrum of life, God has called us to influence that world that we find ourselves in. It's like we don't have to be Mark Zuckerberg and ha- launch Facebook. And we don't have to be Bill Gates and put a computer into every home. You know, we don't have to be Steve Jobs and make Apple as cool as what it is. I mean, we, that's, that's wonderful. But we can influence our world. And God has called us to be people who change the atmosphere and the environment in which we find ourselves. I was reading the other day about six-word stories six word stories paramedics finished her text love you Sheesh. don't text and drive I, I, I'm like I'm so bad at this who here gets bored right at driving and then you, you get to the robot and you start texting paramedics finished her text love you I'm so sorry You have cancer. That's what Natasha faced. I just don't love you anymore. Six words that change your world. Honey, we're having a baby. That changes the game. Hey, I finally got that job. Six words of faith. Six words of hope, right? I should have brought a GPS. Said every woman in the place. I never thought this would happen. And maybe you can fill in your own name if you're blank, but for mine, Candace, will you please marry me? Those the six words that changed life. Six words that changed the deal. It's a guy called Moses in Scripture. We read his story in the book of Exodus. God spoke six words to him that changed the world, changed his world, and then changed the world that he lived in. Moses was born into a period of captivity for his nation, the Israelites. He was born into an environment, into an atmosphere where Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had become deeply insecure about how many Israelites had had how the Israelites had multiplied and expanded in the land of Egypt. And so Pharaoh was on a mission to reduce the Jewish population. And so the rule went out, the decree went out, that every firstborn son needed to be executed. Moses was born into that. He was due to be executed. But as God would have orchestrated things, his sister and his mom came up with a plan. They put this baby, this infant Moses, into a little basket, put him into the, the bulrushes, the reeds uh, uh, along the side of the Nile River, strategically and intentionally in the very place that they knew Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe regularly. And then Pharaoh's sister just stood off to the side and began to watch what would happen to her brother. As things would have it, and as God orchestrated it, Pharaoh's daughter comes down and discovers this little baby in this little basket. She doesn't have the heart to execute it because at that moment Pharaoh's sister sidles up to her and says, Pharaoh's daughter, I see you've seen a, a noticed a baby. She goes, yeah. She says, would you like a woman to be available to look after this little baby that you found? Pharaoh's daughter says, that'll be a great idea. Lo and behold, Pharaoh's mother gets, uh, uh, Moses's mother gets called to come and nurse her own baby. And so Pharaoh's uh, Moses' sister and Moses' mother raise Moses but in the courts of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. She ends up taking care of her own son in Pharaoh's courts. Forty years go by and one day Moses is walking along and he sees an Egyptian beating up on an Israelite and he gets filled with such a passion and such a holy discontent for what's happening to his people that he kills this Egyptian, gives him a hectic club. Kills him. Gives him like a Boxburg club. Because they're soft in Brackband, so you've got to give them a hard one. Kills him. Later he's walking and he sees two Israelites fighting and he gets involved with that and he says, hey guys, and they go, oh, what? Are you going to get involved and kill one of us just like you killed the Egyptian? At that point, Moses realizes, listen, I've got a problem on my hands. Words got out that I killed this Egyptian and he realizes he's a man Who's mocked? He decides to flee and he flees Egypt and he flees to the desert. He comes across a well, and as things would have it, as God had orchestrated and planned it, he meets a young lady who he ends up marrying. Her name's Zipporah. He gets married into the family and he begins to look after and take care of his father in law, uh, Jeth- um, Jethro's sheep. Moses goes from son raised in the palace of Egypt to shepherd in the desert of Midian. And that's where he finds himself for another 40 years until one day he's walking. The Bible says that he he was looking after his sheep on the far side of the mountain of Horeb, the Lord's mountain. On the far side, he's just tending his sheep, minding his own business. He was scrolling Facebook, taking a couple of Instagrams of the cool desert behind him. He was WhatsApping his mates and all of a sudden, whoa, a burning bush this bush begins burning and he's interested in it because it's burning, but it's not burning up. So he begins to move closer and then his name gets called twice, Moses, Moses. And he begins to walk closer and then God who is manifesting himself in this, what we call a theophany, like a, a view of God in, a, in another form that we're not used to. says, Moses, don't come any closer. The ground you're standing on is holy ground. And Moses and God begin this incredible conversation where God begins to lay upon Moses a burden to free the Israelite nation. He asks Moses, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to lead your people out of Egypt. Moses, as you could imagine, is like, whoa, hang on, chill, God, slow down. We're only on a first date here. And he begins to give God all the excuses. And this is where we pick up the text this morning, where we see the six words that God spoke to Moses that changed the game. Exodus 4 verse 1 to 5, it'll be on the screen for you. So, but Moses protested again. He says, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? In other words, what happens if they say, hey, you're smoking Zol, (laughs) butty? Then the Lord asked him, what is that? In your hand. Six words. That change everything. What is that? In your hand. As shepherd's staff, Moses replied, "Can I have my staff, thanks. This is just a shepherd's staff. So Moses replied and he says, throw it down on the ground, the Lord said. So he did. Guess what? This thing turns into a snake. Moses jumped back Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So he does. He reaches up, grabs its tail And it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, God tells Moses, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has really appeared to you. Then the Lord asked him again, what is in your hand? Second time, the six word phrase gets used in the space of five verses. A shepherd's staff. Moses replied. Six words that changed Moses' world, changed the Israelites' world. But it's just a staff, you might say. It's just a staff, he protested to God. But this staff represented a few things about Moses. Firstly, it represented his identity. By the staff, you knew he was a shepherd. It represented his identity. It represented his income. Because of the staff, he was able to shepherd. That's how he got his, that's how he got his cash. And then it, it, it signified, it represented his influence. In summary, what was going on here is God was directing Moses' attention to what is the influence that you and I have. Moses, what's the influence that you have? What is in your hand that you use for your identity? What is in your hand that gets used for your income? What is in your hand that could be used to influence? What is the thing you use, Moses? He goes, it's the shepherd's staff. Because this is the staff that's used to influence the sheep. It's used to nudge them and pull them and correct them and God said to Moses, but the thing that's in your hand is the thing that I want to use to influence. But it's just a staff, you might say. You see, there was a progression going on here. There was a pattern going on. It's kind of the pattern to influence, if you want to call it that. First, it's one question. What's in your hand? Then it's one command. Throw it down on the ground. Put it down. You see, the question, one question, what's in your hand? That's recognition. But to throw it down in the ground, that's surrender. And when you and I recognize what God has given us, and when we will surrender it, then He can use us to influence. What's in your hand? It's just a shepherd's staff might say but this wasn't just the shepherd's staff because in the hands of God it was used miraculously 6 out of the 10 plagues that God inflicted upon the nation of Egypt because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart 60% of them came through Moses being asked to stretch his hand out with his staff in it darkness hail water turning to blood, locusts, gnats, and one other. Not boils, another one. Frogs. Thank you, Pastor Kathy. We hate frogs, don't we? Sixty percent, six out of the ten. But the staff wasn't just the instrument used to deliver the the anger and the judgment of God. The staff was the thing used to deliver the redemption of Israel. Because a few day, as they exited Egypt, they, they got out of Egypt and then they, they found themselves on the brink of and on the edge of the Red Sea. And as they looked ahead, they saw nothing but sea. And as they looked behind, they saw nothing but an Egyptian army. You see, Pharaoh had changed his mind. He sent his army to come after them. So they look ahead, they see water, they look behind, they see army, quite literally between a rock and a hard place. Such a good question to answer when we're in a hard place. What's in your hand? What's God given you that he could use? And so Moses gets asked to stretch out his staff over the Red Sea, and it parts. Whole nation goes through the Red Sea. And then God t- says to Moses, now Moses says, to your nation has come through this. The Egyptian army is going to follow you. Stretch out your staff over the ocean. And it closed. Not only was the staff an instrument for the judgment of God, but it was an instrument for the redemption of Israel. Not only was it that, was the instrument used to deliver provision for the nation of Israel. You see, there, a few days later, they get to uh, a place called Rephidim. They've been three days without water. Now, listen, we read the Bible in hindsight and we give the Israelites quite a hard time. We're like, ah, oh, you guys are soft, bunch of wussies. How can you not trust God? Three days in the desert. We've, I've been to that desert in midsummer. I've felt what it's like to not have water for a couple of hours. Listen, you are... Nipping yourself when there's no water in that desert. They get this three days and they start grumbling to Moses. Ah, Moses, did you just bring us out here to kill us? Did you take us out of Egypt just to kill us in the desert? And they start moaning against Moses. And Moses comes to God and he says, I don't know what to do with these guys. They're like a bunch of teenagers. What do I do with these kids? And Moses, uh, God says to Moses, Moses, do you see that rock over there? He says, they do. What's in your hand? Take your staff and strike it. And water gushes out of a rock. Unbelievable. Israel get watered and they're happy again. Just as they thought they were in the clear, they get attacked by a nation called the Amalekites. They were just settling down. They've just got manna, they've just got quail, they've got water. They've, they're like, oh, God has been good to us. Next thing you know, the army attacks them. So God says to Moses, Moses, take this thing that's in your hand. Go to the top of the hill overlooking the battlefield. Take Aaron and her with you. When you lift your arms, there'll be victory to Israel. When your arms sag, the Amalekites will be winning. So Aaron and her, your job is to keep the arms of Moses up. God told Moses, keep your staff in your hand. Not only was it used as an instrument of the judgment of God, not only was it used for the redemption of Israel, not only was it used for the sustenance and provision for the nation, it was used to deliver them from the enemy. Listen, when you're in a fight, it's always a good thing to ask, what's in your hand? What's God given you? What's He put in your life? It's just a simple stuff, you might say. Not in the hands of God. Maybe you 're sitting here today, feeling somewhat disappointed by life in that you'd hope by now, maybe you would have had more influence, maybe by now you'd hope hey, I thought my life would have counted for more than it has by now, like I thought I'd be further ahead i thought I thought that there would have been more, I thought that I would have influenced more, and I thought that I'd have greater influence I'm just i here to encourage you this morning that God doesn't ask the complicated questions. You don't have to have an MBA, and you don't have to have an idea like Facebook, and you don't have to have the creative genius of a Steve Jobs to influence your world. And I just feel like I need to say to some people here this morning, you've been looking for like big stuff that you're going to become like an influencer through big things. I feel like God is saying, would would you just start like what Moses did? Would you just see what's in your hand? Like, just look at what he's given you. What's in your hand? You know, there's some things in our hands. Sometimes we don't realize what's in our hands for example this week coming Wednesday night life college starts up that's something in your hand with which to heal with which to grow stronger with which to move forward in your faith with which to go deeper with which to get molded and shaped that's something in your hand with which to connect to community we've put together such an incredible menu of things going on this this coming college semester that we put them into like groups of R. The one R, that you, and you've got this pamphlet with you, the one R is called relate. It will help you understand how to relate to other people better. So the one is called laugh your way to a better marriage. You know, when, when it comes to marriage stuff, it doesn't always have to be like a heavy. Like, ah, but you don't know my husband. He's such a schmuck and he doesn't treat me right. You don't know my wife. She's like, oh, she's impossible. Like, Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage is a way of, if anybody's married, and you just think, hey, I would like our marriage to be deeper and more meaningful and more fulfilling, it's a phenomenal course. You'll laugh your way, literally, to a better marriage. If you're married, and you haven't laughed in a while, you should go. There's one called Learning from the Leadership Greats. Brilliant insights on how to lead effectively in your spheres of influence. There's one called Relatable. Relatable. Find out how to make relationships work. Listen, if you're battling with relationships and you think, I just need to know how to make more relationships more fruitful in my life, you should be there. There's one called Restore. And the one course there is dealing with loss. It's called Grief Sheds. If you've lost somebody, if you have lost a loved one, there are a whole bunch of people that are gonna be there who are in the same boat as you and you could learn how to process your grief in a healthy and constructive and helpful way for yourself. Then under the Restore one, there's one called Heal, which is our addiction recovery program. We speak about it often. That's on a Thursday evening. If you're addicted to anything, including salt and vinegar chips, you should be there, because you can heal, you can get better, you can recover. Your addiction doesn't need to dictate the rest of your life, right? Then there's one called Rebuild. It's all about rebuilding your daily practices. One of them is around rebuilding your finances through money matters. Another one is how to make sense of the Bible. Um, rebuild your daily practices through understanding Scripture, through you know, getting more from Scripture. Have you ever read the Bible and wished? I wish I could get more out of this? This one's like how to read the Bible for meaning. Then there's one called Renew, which is about renewing your mind. One called The God I Never Knew. That's about renewing your mind, understanding the Holy Spirit more. That, that's a course... On the Holy Spirit. Who is He? Why is He? What does He do? What's His purpose in our lives? There's one called His Greatest Sermon. That's also about renewing our minds through the Word of God. Understanding Jesus' greatest sermon. The Sermon on the Mount. The sermon on the Mount changed the value system of the world once Jesus delivered it. Do you know that? Up until that point in time, concepts of grace and mercy were not concepts that, that the rulers of the the world those in charge ever knew about once jesus delivered the sermon on the mount the concept of grace entered our world up until then it was an honor culture an eye for an eye you lead through power and you lead through fear it's an amazing thing you'll learn more about that and then there's one called redirect under the redirect banner there's one called next steps that's those are firm foundations those are foundations for your faith if you're new to faith, that you should be uh, getting plugged into. And then there's one for life group leaders. Hey, if you want to lead a life group, I'm going to be leading that course just to train you. What's in your hand? College is in your hand. What, what's in your hand? Maybe you've got gifts and talents. And you've, you've never served here. You want influence? You can influence hundreds of people. On a Sunday, just by saying yes to that. You see, sometimes we look for influence and we're like, oh God, it's got to be sexy. But Moses' influence was anything but. It was service-based. You say, what's in your hand? I want to say to you, you've got college. I want to say to you, you've got the ability to give of your treasures and your time. What's in your hand? Maybe, well, this is in your hand the moment, why don't you grab one of these and put this in your hand, literally. What's in your hand? This. This is a brochure that tells you all about Vision Offering 2018. Vision Offering is an offering that we as a church receive once a year to move our church quantum leaps ahead in its influence. This one's called Leave an Echo this year. The theme is about leaving an echo. Why? Because we've determined that we're gonna leave an echo through two things. One is we're going to be taking all of the office space that's there at the moment and converting it into extra kids' facilities because the kids are so out of space, it's not even funny. So we want to leave an echo into uh, into the lives of our kids by improving and increasing and converting existing space into kids' zone facilities. 30 years from now, kids will have gone through an area that you helped fund and that you helped change into a kids' zone for them. We're going to leave an echo through Mozambique where our missions team have been busy for years now. We're going to be building them a kids' church building. That's how we're going to leave an echo in Mozambique. So a tithe, a full 10% of whatever is received into this offering here is going to go towards Mozambique. and going to go towards building a kids' building there. You know, The kids at the moment, they are meeting under the tree which is all lacquer until you have a day like today. And then they can't have kids church, so we're gonna leave an echo. Some some child in Mozambique 20 years down the line is gonna have attended that kids zone. They're gonna be at Bible school leading a church and it's all gonna boil down to one of you, some of you, all of you who gave because you left an echo that way. How awesome would that be? What's in your hand? Vision offerings in your hand. What, what's in your hand? Maybe it's a dream to start an orphanage. Maybe it's a dream to help the elderly. What's in your hand? Maybe, just maybe, God's calling you to get out of your zone and to get out of the desert where you've been shepherding sheep for a while and to see what could become of the staff that's in your hand. What's in your hand? Maybe it's a department that you look after. Those people are looking to you to change the atmosphere. Maybe it's a business that you own and run. You're not just making money for yourself or for your partners. You're making money for cool kingdom stuff. Your job, you don't know it, but I'm telling you, your job is to fund God's kingdom. It's to give ridiculous amounts of money. Incredible amounts of money. Silly, stupid amounts of money. And everybody said, yes. So that you can leave an echo. Maybe you're a teacher and there's kids in your class. Every single one of them needs influencing and molding and shaping. Maybe what's in your hand is the children that God's given you. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad. What's your influence? Your influence is you're a creator of home and care and nurture. You're a creator of an an environment of people who are going to change their world one day. What's in your hand? Starts with recognition. Recognition progresses to surrender will you use it and it ends in influence you don't have to change the world but you definitely must change your world i read an interesting story about this guy called oscar schindler if you've ever seen the movies uh, schindler's list that that's the story of oscar schindler it's an incredible story and it's incredible because of the turnaround that happened in his life. I didn't know this, but I found out while researching in nineteen thirty nine, just as the Second World War was kicking off, Oskar Schindler well, actually joined the Nazi Party. He had every intention of becoming a Nazi. He joined the Nazi Party, and when the Nazis invaded Poland, he moved to Krakow and he took over two factories that had been given to him by the Nazi regime because he was a Nazi. You know, we know a lot about the concentration camps and the extermination of the Jews in that way. What we don't often realize is just how incredibly, um, uh, uh, what an incredible machine the Third Reich was in terms of delivering cheap labor. They used the Jewish people for cheap labor in manufacturing all over the the areas that they conquered. And so the, the Nazis moved into Poland and delivered to Oskar Schindler a whole lot of Jewish people with which he used in his factory to build his business. He literally built his wealth on the back of Jewish people who were enslaved and enslaved labor. But as the war went on, Schindler began to notice what was going on, and he began to notice and hear the stories of Jews not only being, uh, being used as labor, which he was guilty of doing, but he began to hear that they were exterminated in these concentration camps. He began to hear of mass, mass murder and of the genocide that was going on. And something happened in his heart. How many of you know that all of what I've said today, what we really need is for something to happen in your heart. And what happens is he begins to look at this. He goes, this is not right. And he begins to look at what's in his hand, his factories. He begins to turn them around and he begins to use them differently. All of a sudden, his factories, instead of being instruments, of mass labor and of sweatshops now become places of refuge and redemption. He begins to take those factories, open them up to Jewish people who he was smuggling from all over Poland and Czechoslovakia. And he began to house and hide these Jewish people in his factories as he was waiting to get them illegally and undercover. He he got them across the border into safer countries. His factories, which were sweatshops, turned into places of redemption. The story goes that one day he was expecting a delivery of by train of 1,200 Jewish people. Word came to him that this delivery of 1,200 uh, Jews had not arrived because they'd been mistakenly directed to Auschwitz, a concentration camp. Schindler gathered every cent that he could together and he got hold of all the diamonds and the gold that he could. He traveled to Auschwitz and he delivered gold and diamonds to the Nazis there and traded his wealth for 1,200 lives so that they wouldn't perish. Today there are over 7,000 what they call Schindler's Jews, descendants of Oscar Schindler that owe their lives in Europe, to that one train load that he saved. Why? Because God challenged him with what's in your hand. A factory. Ah, you can use it. It could become something great. So I ask you again, church, What's in your hand? I hope this question bugs you. I'm praying that it bugs you. In fact, I'm praying that you can't eat or sleep or drink or go to the loo until you solve this question. It's a bit intense, I know. Lord, let nobody wee until they've figured this out. It's a little bit intense, eh? There's a, a little bit extra, hey? But I, I do pray, I do pray that it bugs you. I do pray that you see what's in your hand. The people, the job, the finance, the gifts, the talents, God's put in your life. And I pray that you'd look at that you'd surrender it, and that your life would count for something in your world. I was thinking about this and it struck me that the same question was asked of Jesus. What's in your hand? A perfect life. Well, would you throw it on the ground? Would you surrender it? Would you give that perfect life up? so that you and I could have freedom. And Jesus said yes to his father. Came to earth. Took every sin, every ounce of shame, every bit of darkness in us, every bit of wayward thinking and wayward acting took it and allowed it to be placed on his shoulders. Through what we call substitutionary atonement. He hung on the cross with the burden of the sin, guilt, shame of the world, so that you and I didn't need to, so that we could be relieved of guilt, our sin, our shame, our darkness. Are wondering. That's the message of the gospel. If you've never heard it before, it's a wonderful message. If you've been in church for 50 years and you've forgotten it, it's a wonderful message. What's in your hand, Jesus? A perfect life. Will you lay it down? I will. So that the bridge between heaven and earth could be spanned could be connected so that you can live in freedom so that every ounce of sin shame and darkness could be dealt with what's in your hand a decision as to what you'll do with that the decision is do I say yes to that following him or do i just let it pass me by this message was recorded live at thrive church we hope that it inspired you to move towards jesus